This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary. Welcome to the Lead On podcast, where once again, we'll be talking about practical issues related to ministry leadership. I'm delighted that you've joined me on the podcast today, and particularly so because today's podcast is going to be a direct response to an extended email that I received from a listener. A few weeks ago, as I do from time to time, I ask you to send me ideas or topics or issues that you'd like for me to address on the podcast, and several of you have responded, and I've tried to incorporate your uh, questions or your issues into the podcast, or like today, design an entire podcast just around uh, responding to the questions that have been raised. Now, the person who wrote me today is a two-time graduate of Gateway Seminary. Uh, She is a woman who is on staff in a a significant position in a a good-sized church. Uh, She's asking questions that are pertinent to what it takes to train people effectively for ministry leadership today, and then sort of as a subtext, uh, who should be seeking seminary training, and uh, are there other valid ways to train people for ministry leadership? And then even as a further subtext to that, uh, what's the role of seminary training for women, and should women seek uh, this kind of training for church staff or other leadership positions. She writes at the end of her email, I live with this tension daily and at times have almost felt as if I should apologize for seeking a higher education just to teach children and preschoolers. So I want to talk today about uh, training models in local churches, the kind of training that's needed for people in ministry leadership, and then specifically address perhaps uh, the issue of women training for ministry leadership. First of all, the question that she raised in the email, uh, the first question that she raised in the email is this. Should everyone pursue a seminary education if they're in ministry leadership? Now, the answer may surprise you. The answer is absolutely not. Now, I know you're thinking, do you not realize you're a seminary president and that your job depends on getting more people to go to seminary? I do understand that. And I wish that everyone in ministry leadership uh, needed seminary and wanted to come to Gateway Seminary. But here is the hard reality. Not everyone in ministry leadership needs to go to seminary. And not everyone in ministry leadership will go to seminary. So let's just get that out there up front. In fact, as a seminary, we talk about this maybe more often than you might think. In a recent faculty retreat, one of our faculty members reminded all of us in a presentation that uh, seminary is not required for ministry leadership. The only thing that is required is a call from God. When God calls, we respond, and we obey him and move into leadership. Now, We work at a seminary. Obviously, we believe that seminary training is helpful for people who are called and placed in ministry leadership, but let's be very clear. We understand it's not, and I think most people understand it's not, and to say that it is is really disingenuous and uh, magnifies the need for training above even God's call. So no, not everyone needs to go to seminary, which leads to the next question. And that is, if you're not going to go to seminary, you definitely need some training. And so is a church-based training program enough to produce the ministry leaders required for a growing, active church ministry? Well, a church-based ministry training approach is very significant, and I advocate for them strongly. But 
it may not always be enough to give a person everything they need to equip them for ministry leadership. So let's talk about some of the advantages of informal training that takes place in a church context, and then I'll go back and contrast that to more formal training and talk about why, while seminary is not required for everyone, seminary can definitely be helpful for many people in leadership. When I talk about informal training, I'm saying that people can be trained through observing others, uh, learning through trial leadership opportunities, uh, reading and researching about ministry leadership, uh, attending seminars or conferences, or even learning from their peers or being mentored by uh, a more seasoned leader in their context. These are all the different kinds of informal ministry training that is available. And sometimes, especially in larger churches, they systematize all of this into their own local church-based training program. And frankly, that is a very good thing. But is it enough? Well, there are some weaknesses with this kind of informal training or even structured kind of local church training based on these informal networks and informal uh, study fields. What are some of those weaknesses? Well, leaders who depend on informal training uh, often gravitate towards certain subjects or models or formats or personalities. And this can result in an imbalanced approach to ministry it's long on repeating programs and approaches of others, but short on innovation and contemporaneous creativity. Now, that's a lot. Let's unpack it just a bit with an illustration. For a long time, Gateway Seminary has been in partnership with a very large church here in California. This partnership goes back to the late 1990s. Now, this very large church has allowed us to teach on their campus every weekend uh, two classes uh, as both an outreach to this church and as a, uh, a, an open door or a portal, if you will, for church members to start attending and then follow through in complete degrees with Gateway Seminary. But this church also has an extensive internal training uh, process to generate its own leaders that it raises up in-house, so to speak, and places in ministry leadership throughout the organization. And in fact, some of those persons even rise to part-time and even full-time staff positions by coming up through this church's training. I was talking with the executive pastor of the church once, and I said to him something like, you know, I really appreciate uh, the fact that you continue to let Gateway be on your campus and that you promote our seminary, especially since you have such an intensive and thorough in-house training program that depends on these informal strategies I've just described. And he gave me this very insightful response. He said, Jeff, the people that we're raising up for leadership that we believe will always be with us we want them to have our training, and that's enough. We want them to learn to do it our way, and to do it our way very well, and to become uh, experts at that way of doing ministry. And as they do, we have elevate them uh, to their level of leadership in our organization. But then he said, but anyone in our church that we have a sense may go on to provide leadership in other contexts. For example, they may be launched to plant another church, they may go on staff at a different church, or they may go to work for some other Christian organization. If we see in a person uh, the potential or even the bent toward becoming a leader that may leave us in the future, we strongly encourage that person to enroll at Gateway. 
because we want them to get the advantages that come with a different perspective and a broader perspective on leadership training uh, that we can't provide them at our church. Now, I found this answer to be incredibly insightful, especially because it was coming to me from someone outside the seminary who had his own very extensive leadership training process and yet was in cooperation with us to provide an alternative leadership training method for certain people that might come through their church. So there's an importance of having this informal church-based leadership training that depends on reading and seminars and conferences and mentorship and, uh, and on-the-job training. That, that's very important and very significant and produces really good workers and even leaders in local church contexts. But borrowing on the counsel that my friend gave me, if you are a person or you have people in your church ministry who you believe have the capacity or the bent or the life direction that that's going to ultimately result in them being in ministry leadership in a larger context than your particular local church, then perhaps that person would profit from some more formal seminary training. Now let's talk about some of the advantages of formal training. There are several. First, formal training makes you accountable to others. Now, formal training usually has a couple of levels of accountability. Number one, you have to pay for it. And that raises the level of commitment. You know, here at Gateway, for example, we put a strong emphasis on people paying their own way to seminary, especially their first semester. Why? Because we know that if they don't have a financial investment from the beginning, they're not going to be as accountable to the program to complete it. And then second, there's accountability built in through the grading process. When you enter a formal level of training, you're going to get either a pass-fail or an ABCDF, but you're going to be held accountable for the work. So formal training has a strength in that it has a heightened level of accountability. Second, formal, thinking, uh, formal training stretches your thinking. It will force you to read books you might, otherwise, you might not otherwise choose, uh, consider differing viewpoints, and encounter some new concepts and ideas. For example, um, a student uh, yesterday uh, told me that he was assigned to read a book by a liberal theologian about Christology. And he said, I'm being really challenged by what this person is writing. I disagree with it strongly, but I'm faced with this reality that the person who wrote the book really believes what they wrote. And I'm going to have to interface with that kind of thinking as I go out from seminary. So it's not likely that many people are going to go out and choose a book by a liberal on Christology and be required to read it, but you might have to do that in seminary because here we're trying to stretch your thinking, make you read primary sources of what people are thinking who disagree with us so that we might understand their mentality, their perspective, their, uh, their, uh, their understanding and interpretation of scripture, and that we might be able to respond to it in, a, in appropriate ways. Another positive about formal training is it enlarges your worldview. When you're in a classroom like you would be at Gateway, you're going to meet people from other cultures and learn from professors with widely varying backgrounds. Uh, we have uh, professors from multiple different cultures in multiple different countries, uh, faculty who've worked all over the world, and I mean all over the world, who speak multiple languages, who've been in all kinds of life situations. Uh, when you are in an informal church-based training approach, you're, you're going to get some good training, but it's going to have that one dimension of a worldview that's usually local and centered in that context. But when you get involved in formal training, you're going to get a much broader view of what's really going on across Christianity and around the world. Uh, 
And then finally, formal training focuses um, on the theological and theoretical foundations for ministry. Now, informal training typically focuses on the what to do or how to do it. That's great. No problem with that. But seminary and formal training, while it does some of that as well, tends to focus a lot more on the theological and theoretical foundations for ministry, about why we do what we do and what informs us in the choices we make about methodology. One of the catchphrases around seminary is theology informs practice, and we want to always keep those things in order. Theology informs practice. And so as you study the theology and the theory of ministry leadership, then you put that into practice by choosing methods which are good reflections of our theology and our uh, theory of leadership. Now, let me reinforce again. Informal training is a very valid way of preparing people for ministry leadership and of even raising them up to leadership responsibilities in a church or ministry organization. And this informal leadership can involve uh, on-the-job training, reading, conferences, seminars, mentoring, all these kinds of things. And in larger churches, it can be quite structured and quite effective. And I want to underscore also that I participate in these informal methods of leadership development constantly. I've written six or seven books, and all of them are focused on getting the message to people in the most practical way possible about how to lead more effectively. I speak regularly in associational conferences, state convention conferences, other leadership conferences. Why? Because I want to participate in this informal network of trying to raise the caliber of leaders that we have in the churches. So I value that kind of training. But let's also remember that formal training, like you can achieve through a seminary program, has some really good strengths to it that really do help us along the way. Now, there are some criticisms of formal training. I just want to mention them briefly and sort of rebut them if I can. First of all, formal training takes too long. Well, if it's three years of training for 30 or 40 years of ministry, I don't really think that's too long. Second, formal training is out of date. Well, it is in a sense. We're talking about the theological and theoretical foundations for ministry, and those don't change. So yes, in some sense, what we do is out of date, but we prefer to think of it as being timeless in its application. Another thing is formal training costs too much. You're kidding me, right? Have you priced medical school? Have you priced law school? Have you even priced what it takes to get a master's in education from a university today? Do you know that you can go to Gateway Seminary, get a three-year master's degree, and pay the same as you pay for a one-year master's degree at USC or UCLA? We're so inexpensive, and it's so remarkable because of the program that, or because of the cooperative program that Southern Baptists have, that seminary costs so little. And then finally, sometimes people criticize formal training because they say it drains your spiritual passion. Well, it doesn't have to. Your spiritual passion can be drained by a lot of things. And if you let seminary drain your spiritual passion, well, that's on you, not on us, because we're trying to fuel your spiritual passion, not drain it. Now, a second question that my listener asked is, uh, are there ministry positions for which a seminary degree is really unneeded? Uh, in other words, you'd never counsel someone to seek it. Well, that, that's, uh, the answer to that question is no, there, there aren't any. Now, I've already said there are many leaders and many people in leadership who don't need a seminary education to do the job they're doing right now, but 
You never know what God might open up for you in the future if you have this kind of training. For example, uh, there are a number of people that are very effective pastors that I cannot consider to be on the faculty of Gateway Seminary because they don't have an earned doctoral degree. You say, well, do they have to have one? Yes, they do. And that discipline of demonstrating that you can pursue and complete a doctoral degree and the training and information that it brings you and the sense of confidence and expertise that comes with that kind of recognition, that's required to be on the faculty at Gateway Seminary. And so if you don't complete that, you can't unlock the door and get into that responsibility. You know, when I started out as a pastoral leader, I didn't envision myself being a seminary president, not even one time. But I trained, so I didn't train myself particularly for this job, but I kept training myself to give myself every opportunity to open every door possible to do whatever God wanted me to do in the future. And that's why I pursued a doctoral degree in evangelism and church planting, because I thought the focus of my life was going to be building evangelistic church planting congregations. Well, God redirected me, but part of the redirection was that I had achieved the training necessary to open the doors of opportunity, even at a seminary, when they came. Now, the person who wrote me this email, which prompted this podcast, uh, told me in the email that she also writes uh, for the Gospel Project curriculum at Lifeway, and that she's been on the VBS curriculum development teams at Lifeway. Part of the reason that she's been asked to do that is because she has a Master's of Divinity degree and has demonstrated the capacity to do theological reflection and theological writing and can bring a level of theological depth to the assignment that perhaps some other people might not be able to bring. Now, they might be, but they've never demonstrated that they are by completing this kind of degree. And so while the answer to the question is, uh, are there some positions for which a seminary degree is not needed? Well, yes, if you're talking about the position you're in right now. But a seminary degree, or degrees, opens up vistas of opportunity for you that might not open up otherwise if you will pursue them. Now, a third question. Should women pursue seminary degrees? The answer to that question is absolutely yes. In fact, about 30% of the students at Gateway Seminary are women, and that's a pretty high number for a seminary community. 30% of our students are women. And at Gateway, we open all degree programs and all classes to women. Now, we do that because we want women to be trained theologically and theoretically to do whatever ministry God leads them to assume in, days in, uh, in, in the future. Now, you may say, well, yeah, but the Baptist Faith and Message says the office of pastor is limited to men as qualified by Scripture. We believe that wholeheartedly at Gateway. But that doesn't mean that women can't be trained to think theologically and theoretically about all the other offices and responsibilities that are going to come their way in Christian ministry leadership. And every church needs a strong cadre of Bible-teaching, theologically sound women who can do ministry and lead ministry and do teaching ministry that will enable men, excuse me, that will enable women, children, teenagers, Preschoolers, everyone who falls under their leadership, enable them to have the instruction they need. So yes, we want women to attend seminary. We want them to get as much training as possible. We want them to learn Bible, theology, uh, church history. We want them to learn methodology and practical ways of doing ministry and different approaches to ministry. 
We want them to be able to handle the Greek New Testament and read a little bit of Hebrew. We want them to be able to be, to be able to do these things so that they can bring the depth needed to these kinds of ministries that they're going to lead going forward. Well, uh, last part of the question was, uh, given the prevalence of different learning modes, especially during the pandemic, uh, is there any big difference really between online learning or distance learning and face-to-face -face learning? And what are some of the different ways we can approach that? And then also, how can we incorporate these opportunities into uh, local church training? So first of all, let me just overview uh, from an educational point of view that there are three delivery modes that we're talking about. First of all, there's in-person, face-to-face instruction. That's what we might call the classical or traditional way of delivering education, and most of you know about that. The second way is what we call, is what's called video conferencing. Uh, some schools call this remote access or video access, but it's where you participate in a class being taught live by a professor, but you participate by video conference. Now, sometimes this is done by a hybrid model where the class is actually being taught in a classroom and there are some face-to-face -face students present and there are others like you who are coming in through video conference. Uh, and then there's, but some of the, those classes can also be taught entirely on video conference where the professor is sitting in his office or perhaps in a classroom, but he's by himself. And all the students are participating through a video conference format. Uh, whether it's done in a live classroom or whether it's done all in video conference format, you're still participating the same way if you're participating from a distance, and that is you're participating by video conference in a live learning experience. And then the third delivery mode is what's usually called online delivery. And I know this can be a little confusing because you think, well, isn't video conferencing online? Well, it is in a sense, but because it's live, it has a different name. Online delivery typically is what is called in the school world asynchronous, meaning without time limitations. Online courses are prepackaged. There are usually videos and readings and tutorials and activities and maybe even uh, a threaded discussions or maybe even live discussions where the whole class tries to log in at a certain time or maybe you're in a small group in the class that logs in and discusses the material at a certain time. But the material is delivered primarily online, meaning it's delivered in a prepackaged format that you can take uh, and accomplish on your own schedule. So obviously there are advantages and disadvantages uh, to all three of these learning modes. Now this may be very interesting to you, but at Gateway we keep extensive evaluative information about these different delivery modes. In other words, we measure the student learning outcomes in face-to-face -face delivery, in video conference delivery, and in online delivery. And we measure it through a lot of different uh, 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 matrices and a lot of different rubrics. And we bring all that information together and we parse it pretty carefully to determine how effective our teaching methodologies are. And here's what we've been discovering. Now, we've been doing these different modes for years, not just because of the pandemic. We've been doing them for years. Uh, but here's what we've discovered, and that is that generally there's not much difference in student learning outcomes between these three modalities. Now, there's a little caveat to that that you need to understand, and that is people are in the modality they have chosen. Therefore, they like it, and they want to learn that way. So you say, well, I want to be in a face-to-face -face class, and I really wouldn't like an online class, and I wouldn't get as much out of it. Fine. If you took an online class and we tested your learning outcomes, they probably would be lower than if you chose uh, a face, we're in a face-to-face -face class. But if you're a student who says, I love online learning, 
it's fantastic for me, then your learning outcomes are going to be probably about the same as if you were in a face-to-face class or maybe even higher because you are so in sync with the learning modality. So it's very important that you not say one of these doesn't work or one of these is bad or one of these is not as strong as the other. Depending on how you learn, depending on your level of motivation, and depending on how you want to access material, any one of these three can be equally effective in the learning outcomes of you gaining the knowledge and skills you need to do ministry leadership. So there are three delivery modes, and all three of them have validity, and all three of them work well. Now, obviously, the video access and online modes have the huge advantage of you being able to access them where you are. Now, that means you don't have to relocate. You don't have to leave your job. You don't have to leave your ministry setting. You don't have to uproot your family. You get to stay where you are. The downside of that is you have to stay where you are. And that means you have the distractions of job, church, family, and community. So it takes some real focus to carve out the time and the place to do video conferencing or online learning. But if you can discipline yourselves uh, to put yourselves, so to speak, in a learning bubble during that time frame, then you can make these work well. How well? Well, here's a dirty little secret about online and and video conference learning. We have students at Gateway Seminary who live in our campus housing who sign up for video conference or online courses. Why? Because they've discovered that certain subjects, because of their learning style, are better learned through one of those formats. Just one example. When you take Greek or Hebrew in the online format, if you're not getting it, you can go over the lessons over and over and over again because they're prepackaged in terms of the lectures, the tutorials, the activities, the assignments. You can use them as repeated drills until you get the work accomplished. Now, if you're sitting in a classroom, that's a lot harder to do. And so there are certain classes and certain subjects and certain ways of learning that have caused our students to treat our curriculum like a cafeteria. They take some face-to-face classes, they take some video conference classes, they take some online classes, and they learned uh, to match their learning style with the delivery mode, their availability with the delivery mode, the content of the course with the delivery mode, and to make it all work to create the best educational model possible. Now, having video conference and online learning is a tremendous asset to every church that also has an informal leadership development process. Remember earlier in the podcast I said that one of the weaknesses of informal approaches is they tend to be one-dimensional and focus on the how to do it or how we do it here. Now, the weakness of that is you're not getting the theological and theoretical background necessary to perhaps understand why you're doing it or to even offer some correctives about how you could do it more effectively. This is the beauty of video conferencing and online learning. You can pair that with your local church learning experiences, and a person that involves themselves in in these formal training methods doesn't have to complete an entire degree. They can simply take uh, a class or two or three. In fact, at Gateway, uh, we've packaged these courses in what we call certificates. So, for example, we have a course called the Bible Teaching Certificate, and you can take Old Testament and New Testament and uh, a couple of other classes, including a Bible teaching class, and those three or four classes... Uh, form what we call a Bible teaching certificate, and we actually give you the recognition as, as a part of Gateway Seminary. But you pair that 
over a couple of years of time with the local training you're receiving in terms of how to do your ministry locally in your context the way you do it, and you have a good synergy going on between the formal and informal methods of training. So if you're listening to this podcast today and you have a good informal leadership training methodology going on in your church where you're raising up teachers and directors and workers and officers and leaders, that's fantastic. Consider augmenting that with some seminary courses, not enrolling everyone for a full degree, but saying, look, we really want you to get some Old Testament, some New Testament, some theology. We want you to get some classes in Bible teaching and lifespan development and other things. And in doing that, open your mind to more possibilities of what we might be able to do here uh, as a church. While at the same time, we're going to be training you and working with you and helping you to develop your skills that we need in this context. Well, this has been an invigorating podcast for me because I got to talk about something I really enjoy, and that is training people to be more effective leaders. I want to thank the listener for sending me this uh, long email and these great questions. And I also want to say to all of you, if you have an issue, a thought, a question, an idea about anything related to ministry leadership, send it to me. I can't promise I'll answer every one of them on the podcast, but I try to. So let me hear from you, and let's keep the dialogue going as we talk about these practical issues related to ministry leadership. Today, we've talked about the importance of informal training and formal training. We've talked about how valuable informal training is and how effective it can be in producing local church leaders. But I hope I've also challenged you to pair that with some formal training for some very good reasons that will help people develop uh, to to be even more effective leaders, especially as they go more broadly into leadership opportunities outside your church. And then if you're a woman listening to this podcast today, you definitely need seminary training. Uh, don't let anyone tell you you don't. You can do it. We want you here. You need the biblical, theological, practical training that seminary offers to give you the kind of foundation needed for every kind of ministry in the church. Hey, training's important. Get as much as you can. Learn everything you can. Do as much as you can that you can improve yourself to be the leader God has called you to be. And I know you'll do it as you lead on.